I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited that we're finally getting to meet together. I was so looking forward to being together on the first day of class last week, and then it snowed. But not even on the first day of class, right? It snowed earlier. And so what I noticed, maybe some of you did this, maybe some of you didn't, the university is like, it's too dangerous to travel. We're going to take the day off from school. So you guys are like, hey, you know what? We're going to go skiing. And so you all <laughs> left town. <laughs> it's like that, that did not go the way that they thought that it would. But anyways, my name is Josh. Thank you. I am one of the campus pastors here. I am so excited to be sharing with you in our XA XO series. It's all about LSD. I mean, it's about love, sex, and dating. <laughs> Who put them in that order? It's just like, you just have no choice but go hard drugs. Um, so. To get back behind the notes here in a minute. Just to tell you a little bit more about Chi Alpha, one of the things that we do not do in Chi Alpha is we do not talk about Bruno. <laughs> in fact, we just sing about him all the time in my house right now. I'm like, like we, it's just like constant in the Moran house. If anybody wants to come over and sing in Canto with us, uh, it is constantly on the playlist. Uh, and so we're, we're taking any volunteers. I am not great with names, but uh, spoiler alert, the, the girl that can hear voices, right? I, she, just relax. Um, I've already started, so you're, it's going to happen anyway. Um, I'm convinced that she heard him, okay? Like, she knew he was there. So there you go. You can write that down. Exactly. She says, and so I'm so confused by her why she didn't do something about it significantly earlier than that. Um, but hey, what can you do? Anyways, anyways, moving right along. We are in a, in a series, we're starting a series tonight called XAXO. We're going to look at relationships. And we're going to see what the Bible has to say about relationships, what the Bible has to say about sexuality, what the Bible has to say about dating, what it has to say about marriage, what it has to say about singleness, and what it has to say about relationships. We believe that relationships are the currency of life. right? One of the famous sayings is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Right? This is one of the ways in which our culture defines relationships. And then we also see that there are all of these different influences in our life and around us that define what a good relationship is, that define what a healthy relationship is, that define the way in which you should find a relationship. And we have all of these constant voices coming at us. Maybe it's The Bachelor. Whoa. Oh, <laughs> right? Maybe it's Tinder. Maybe it's Instagram, maybe it's our family of origin, maybe it's our friends, maybe it's our hallmates, but is it ever the church? And when it is the church, how do they approach it? Right? Some of us, we grew up in a church culture, and it's like, when it comes to this topic, we, we like, I'm not bringing my friends to that one. I'm not even sure I want to go to that one. Some of us, like, we're, we've been, we've been uh, trained in one way, but culture has taught us another way. Our friends have taught us another way. Our families have taught us another way. And so what is the way to think about relationships? 
I am so glad that you asked. Tonight, we're going to be looking at what we call the foundations of relationships. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start at the beginning because it's a very good place to start. Uh, but first, I have a picture of my wedding day. Aren't we adorable? Uh, there we are at 7-Eleven. We uh, got married on July 11th, as some of you found out on Friday night if you were at Trivia Night. Um, and we got married. We left the, re- the ceremony. It was at our church in Charlottesville, the church that Katie grew up in. We get outside, and my dad had given us the keys to his uh, GT Mustang convertible. It was bright yellow, okay? Man, that thing was bad, okay? And he's like, you can, you can have it for your honeymoon. We're going to drive it down to Myrtle Beach. And I'm like, hey, Dad, can I get the keys? Like, I wanted to, we were going to drive. And he's like, no, you can't have the keys. And I'm like, why can't I have the keys? Like, just give me the keys. Like, come on, man. And then we get outside, and Katie has surprised me. She rented a Wahooty. Um, you want to know what a Wahooty is? It is a run-down creepy taxi cab uh, in Charlottesville, okay? They're like painted different colors. It's a limo, okay? I agree to disagree on the terminology there, okay? We got in, the beer cans from the night before were still on the floor, okay? And we drove, we didn't drive it, we told the guy, right? Because there is at least a guy. Uh, He took us to 7-Eleven and we got Slurpees. Um, and then we went to our reception. We got Slurpees on the way home. I think I had six Slurpees that day because they were all free. Um, 10 out of 10 would recommend getting a free Slurpee on 7-Eleven and always remember me. And Katie, us. <laughs> Together. So in that picture, uh, we look really young because we were. But here's the other thing. In my mind, when we got married, I was 24. Is that correct? I'm waiting for the nod. I was 24. Katie was almost 23. I felt like we got married really late. Do you know why I felt like we got married really late? Because I'm from a one high school town. Some of you are from one high school town. Like some of you are like, wait a minute, there's towns with only one high school? Like, yes, I am from a one high school town. And so what you do when you graduate is you get a job with your dad, you buy a lifted F-150, you play softball on Sunday nights, and you get married at 18. Okay, we had kids, uh, I think I was 25 when we first had kids, but all my friends already had seven-year-olds at that point. None of my friends from college had kids, but all of my friends from high school already did. That was just the way of the world where I was from. It's what my parents did, it's what their parents did, it's what their parents did. And oftentimes when we think about relationships, when we think about dating, when we think about love, you're so influenced by our families of origin, by the things that are around us. But let's take a dive into the Bible and see what it has to say. So, Genesis chapter 1. If you uh, don't have a Bible, but you would like one, we have them available for free 99 in the back. Uh, you just throw your hand up in the air and wave it around like you just don't care. Uh, Adam will get you one. Anybody feel like they would like a Bible? It's yours to take. You can have it. There we go. we got a few. Genesis chapter 1 is on page 1, so it should be somewhat easy to find. And let's take a look at the creation narrative. Chapter 1, verse 1. 
if you're in my small group, we just started this this past week, so I should have Lance come up and teach. Newly engaged Lance. Congratulations. I wrote down not to mention that tonight, but you know, it's already happened. Sorry about that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Genesis 1-1 gives us a picture of chaos before creation. There's all these things that are going on. There's the void, there's the deep, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the depths. And the Spirit of God takes what was once chaotic, and he brings about order. And we see this play out here in the creation narrative in what the author of Genesis calls days. Now, before we continue, we're going to define a lot of terms today. Uh, and one of the terms is that we're going to define is that Genesis chapter 1 is not a science textbook in the way that Paul reads science text- textbooks in his spare time. Uh, Genesis 1, teaching us about the creation narrative, teaching us about God as creator and what God has done in our world to get us to where we are now. And so the Genesis 1 text then goes on, and the narrator tells us about all these different days. And we see at the end of each day of creation, God calls it good. We have the text up here on the screen. You see it at the end, verses 3, verses 10, verses 12, verse 18, verse 21, and verse 25. As different parts of the creation narrative unfold, as we see seed-bearing plants, as we see the, the sun, as we see the moon, the two bright lights, as we see uh, beasts of the field and birds of the sky. And then what happens? Let's take a look on in verse 26. Okay, verse 25, again, the end of the day, it says, And God saw that it was good. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over. And then he says, I give you the seed-bearing plants and all these things. And then verse 31, God saw all that he would made, he had made, and it was very good. Now again, as we saw the first five days, that it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then the pinnacle of creation happens and God makes humankind, male and female, he makes them at the same time. And not only is it good this time, it is now very good. God is a relational being that we were made to be in relationship with one another. God created us at the same time so that we may be in relationships. That God is relational, that we are relational, that as we desire to be around people, as we desire to see real community play out, as we desire to have friends and family and maybe significant others, God is saying that this is very good. The creation narrative will continue. It says, verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. I just wanted to say that. He told Adam, you work it, Adam. That's how I picture God saying that. Um, <laughs> kind of like, dude, you're weird. <laughs> You'll get used to it, I hope. Uh, and then uh, chapter 2, verse 20, it says, But for Adam, 
no suitable helper was found. So chapter 2 is a replay of chapter 1. Okay, Chapter 1 gives us the big picture of how it is played out in each of the days. Chapter 2, now because humanity is the pinnacle of creation, God is uh, the narrator circling back around to tell us exactly what happened, how this played out, and what we can learn from the text here, what we can learn about God as creator. And as he says, that, that, that Adam is there and no suitable helper is found for Adam. And it's the first time since Genesis 1-1 that something is not good in creation. And it's not good because Adam is alone. That humanity, that you are not meant to be alone. I'm sorry, Adam, it's, you're just not meant to be alone, my guy. <laughs> I just keep saying Adam and he's like right there. And I don't know, I keep pointing at him. <laughs> But there was no suitable helper for Adam, and, and, and God is like, this is not right. We've had all these great things happen throughout the creation here, and then all of a sudden, there's no one there. He's there by himself. What should we do? And so God gets up, and he does it. Verse 21, it says, The Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man, Adam, said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother, and he's united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Okay, I kid you not. For significantly too long in my life, I believe that guys had one less rib than girls. Okay? I don't know why I believe that, okay? I think it was because, like, there was, like, a part of, like, the church that I grew up in, like, believed that this was a science textbook, right? And so, like, when I found out scientifically that that wasn't true, it, like, really threw me for a loop. And I was like, oh my gosh, like... Okay, so what if it, it, okay, I don't believe it was a literal rib, it may have been a little rib. I think what the author of Genesis is trying to tell us, the important part here is that the woman is taken from the man's side, signifying her equality. There could have been a lot of different places that the narrator could have told us where, they, where, where this, this part of the man came from. We already learned in chapter 1 that they were both made in the image of God, male and female. He created them. And at this point, what the author is signifying to us is the equality of humankind. Now, sometimes in the church, it like, gets a little frustrating. And we're going to talk about one of those passages tonight if I ever get around to it, right? I'm looking up at the clock like, yo, you better hurry, Josh. But I think as we stop right here, also, as God calls... Eve, the helper, there's no suitable helper made. Like sometimes we can think of helper as a derogatory term. Right? It's one, it's like one who is less than, this is one who helps, it's one who's not able to do the full deal. But do you know helper in the Bible is actually used of God more than anyone? Nobody moves God down into a lower position. We all see him as significantly higher. So as we start, as we think about the Genesis narrative, think about male and female relationships, I really want to communicate the text equality, the text understanding of equality. 
the very next chapter, chapter 3, is going to be the fall of humanity. Okay? Maybe you know the story. Maybe you don't. Adam and Eve are there. There was, there was a serpent. They eat something they're not supposed to, that they were told not to. Then their eyes are opened. And then God curses different parts of creation. He tells Adam, now by the sweat of your brow will you bring forth things from the uh, earth. And he tells Eve, now childbearing is going to hurt. It's going to be frustrating. And then he looks at Eve and he says, and your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And thus the battle of the sexes is born. Now understand that when God tells that to Eve, that is part of the fall. At no point... In Christian history, at no point in the church's history do we ever root for an outcome of the fall to be the way that we would do it. Right? We're not like, hey, you know what? That's a bad punishment. Let's make that the ideal. Absolutely not. We want to get back to the garden. We want to get back to Eden. We want to get back to where it was full equality all the time. When we think about relationships, when we think about understanding male, female, whatever. Let me start from the beginning by over-explaining the text equality for humanity, male and female, he created them. Does that sound good? Whew. So, I think, for me, there were also times in my life where as I read the text in Genesis, as it was explained to me, as I thought about as I thought about relationships, I thought the only way to actually fulfill uh, my God-given duties, the only way to actually feel fulfilled was, would, would be to be married, right? Like this is like the highest of all relationships, like this is the most important of all relationships, is that between man and woman. Like that, what we must do is we have to get married. And so what I did as a young person, maybe you don't do this, hopefully you don't do this, is that I would constantly chase a romantic relationship. If I wasn't in a romantic relationship, it's like I need to be in one. If I didn't have someone I was pursuing, I needed to be pursued by someone. I needed to constantly be going through this motion because I had to get married. I had to get married fast, right? Like, like this is what we're supposed to do, right? And I think that this is like, can sometimes be frustrating, especially when you sit in a room like this and you look around and you're like, oh my gosh, girls outnumber guys two to one. Who wants to give the guys all this power? Right? They haven't done anything to deserve it, okay? Like, how does this happen? Why can this be? Like, this is so frustrating. Like, if y'all start discipling people, like, what is the hope for us? Preach, preacher. Help us start bringing your friends, okay? But, like, is that it? Is that what the text says? Does the text say that marriage is like the, 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 like the top of it all? What about singleness? So, let's talk about singleness. We're going to start there. Huh. Whew, man. In the New Testament, 100 times is the word alelon used. Okay, you know what this word means? One another. There it is. Right there. I <laughs> got him. You guys didn't know you were Greek scholars, right? But you are. 100 times is the word used. Okay, and I have some of the commands that are used with it on the next slide, I believe. Ooh. 
Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Speak the truth to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak with psalms and hymns to one another. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interest of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Show hospitality to one another. That means some of y'all need to clean your living rooms. Be close with humility to one another. That was not at you, Paul. If you took that personally, I didn't mean it personally, okay? You can talk to the Lord about that later, okay? I was just saying it, bro. Like, I was just saying it, man. Pray for one another and confess your faults to one another. How many of you know, as you look at that list that this list can play out outside of marriage this list plays out in your courtroom this list plays out in your house in your hall with your family with your friends with your classmates but the way that we treat one another as relationships are the fundamental piece of our lives as we are built for relationships, it's not good for us to be alone. The Bible talks over and over again about how we treat one another, and it's not always in a romantic way. If you can fulfill God's call for your life, you can fulfill, you can live a fulfilled life and never be married. You can have deep relationships with your brothers and sisters around you, and that, that can be the community that the Lord would call you to. A couple of examples in the Bible of people who never got married. One would be Jesus, right? That dude lived a fulfilled life, right? Like that dude did some like things that we really needed him to do, okay? Right? Never got married. The Apostle Paul, we're not sure if he was married at the beginning, but we know that he was at least withered at the end. He was single when he wrote most of his letters. Okay? Like we see multiple times in the scriptures that very important people were not married, and God did not consider them second class citizens. God did not consider them on the JV Scott. God did not consider them not worthy. It was just what he had for them. So we're going to look really quick at a passage. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Oh, I marked it. No. But it was coming. It's on page uh, 1,104 in my Bible. Yeah, and I have thin lines, so they're nice. So, uh, if you have, if you're reading in the NIV, the subheading right above verse 25 says, Considering the unmarried concerning the unmarried. And verse 25 says, now about virgins. Like, what did you, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, again, there's going to be some definition of terms throughout this series. And when Paul uses the word virgin here, what he means is unmarried. Now we know 
that those two terms are not always synonymous. Okay? In, in Paul's mind, it would have been, that would have been the hope, but he understood that's not what always happened. Okay, and, and we're not gonna, I'm not gonna go into depth in that. Uh, Katie and I have our own personal histories before we met each other that, and anyways, okay, I'll, you can fill in the gaps as you wish, right? Um, and some of you already have, right? And you're like, oh, oh, God. Um, but as, as, as Paul talks about this, when he uses the word virgin, he's going to mean unmarried. Okay, Paul here says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you a judgment this morning. By the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He says, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Don't seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Did you guys know this was in the Bible? Like, right? Like, as, as like, whenever the, the church, like, talks about marriage, we often skip over this part. And I think that's maybe why the divorce rate is 50% of the church. Wow. Because we highlight it without truly understanding what we're walking into. Because we make it like the ideal and never talk about how to get there. We never say that there is another option. There may be another option for you, maybe even right here. Paul, verse 29, says, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is the time is short. From now on, those who have wives as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. The kingdom is coming around you like we are longing for our Lord Jesus to come back. We are building the kingdom. We are building the kingdom. We are building the kingdom. Let's focus on kingdom building. And if having a wife or having a husband is going to distract you from kingdom building, don't do it. If that is going to be the end-all, be-all for you, if that's going to be what it is, if you think that that's going to be the most important thing, then don't do it. And actually, it may be better for you just to be single, to stay as Paul is, to stay as Jesus is. Paul continues on and on in that chapter. And I just want to highlight it for you because maybe the Lord is asking some of you to consider singleness. Maybe for a season, maybe for a lifetime. Did you know that the frontal lobe is not fully developed until 25? Do you know what the frontal lobe is for? Wisdom. Okay? Like some of the decisions that, that I made as an 18 to 25 year old, like goodness, who put me in charge of things, right? Like I just wasn't fully developed and I'm still developing, right? And so like as you think about this, as you consider what your future would be, I would ask you to consider what the Lord is, singleness, what you would have for me. And to understand it theologically that this doesn't make you not good enough. This doesn't mean that someone didn't want to date you. This doesn't mean that someone didn't want to marry you. This means the Lord has different ways for you to fulfill the relationships that you would be in. But you are supposed to be in relationships. But you still need brothers and sisters. That you still need someone close to you. You still need roommates. You still need housemates. You need apartment mates. You need friends that will go on vacation with you. You need to stay connected.
connected to one another. Some of the richest relationships in the Bible are, are brothers. David and Jonathan come to, come to mind as the way that they sacrifice for one another. The way that they love one another. David would, would eventually marry more than one person. Um, right? But, but he had this relationship with Jonathan. You need to find relationships in your life that are sitting around you even right now. And be ready to go to war with them. And be ready to be in it and thick and thin and do some of those one another verses together. Confess to one another. Exhort one another. Encourage one another. And all the more even as the day approaches. But Paul talks about singleness here. He also talks about marriage. And I think that Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 7 where he says consider about what you should do. I think we hold those in balance with the mandate in Genesis 1 to be fruitful and fill the earth. The way that we are fruitful and fill the earth is in a marriage relationship, and that marriage is a way in which we can see continued intimacy with one another. And we can see not only emotional intimacy, but physical intimacy, and we can see um, a, a level of knowing one another, of truly covenanting with one another, and being with one another, like through thick and thin, no matter what. And we do this through, you saw it up there, through mutual submission. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at what Paul says about marriage relationships. We're going to begin reading in verse 21. Some of you, as you're turning in your Bibles, you're realizing the subheading for you starts after verse 21. My subheading starts before verse 21. This is an interesting point in scholarship um, because when Paul wrote the letter to the church at Ephesus, he didn't include subheadings. Okay? The translators have put those in themselves. And that sometimes when we see translation committees get together, when we see them place things in certain ways, there is some politics involved, right? That's why when you read some verses out loud in your core groups, some people, they sound a little different because words are translated sometimes hyperliterally, sometimes they're translated meaning for meaning. Um, and sometimes the theological bent of the translation committee comes through where they put certain things. And I believe that if your Bible has uh, the subheading uh, before, between verses 21 and 22, then you are probably reading a Bible that, um, that, the, that the purpose is to, hmm, I'm, I'm going to try to choose my words very carefully, because they are smarter than I am. I will, I will grant them that. Um, but they also love patriarchy more than I do. Okay, and so they have chosen to put that there on purpose. Okay, the NIV, whenever Paul, uh, the word translated brothers, whenever like Paul would have spoke to, spoken to a mixed audience, it would have been he would have said brothers because that is what the Greek language does. In English, we don't do that; we can say brothers and sisters. And so in English now, it would say brothers and sisters. Some Bibles would still say brothers, even though it's very clear Paul is talking to a mixed audience. Okay, and that has to do with church leadership. And you can, if you, if you haven't been able to tell at this point in Kyle I mean, 
Katie's in charge, like, right, she's going to preach next week. And so, like, there is a, a sense that, obviously, we don't believe in male-only leadership. And I tried to make my point from Genesis 1, even today. But, anyways, let's read Ephesians 5. We'll start in verse 21. And you'll see why it's important that we start in verse 21. Paul writes his instructions to Christian households. And he gets very uh, practical at the end of Ephesians. Ephesians has been very theological up to this point, and then he gets very practical. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then verse 22, which is some of the some of you, have, if you've been in church, it's the one you've heard often. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And then we stop there. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as a church, Submit to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, a wrinkle, or blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives with their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And Paul quotes again from Genesis chapter 1. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you miss that part of the verse, the rest of it can be very confusing. But actually, Paul lays it out in verse 21, submit to one another, and then he shows the way in which we submit to one another. And how do we submit to one another? We submit to one another, and we love one another. Sometimes in the church, we would say the wife has to submit, and the husband has to love. Isn't it fascinating? The text never tells the wife to love her husband. Do you see that there? Everyone believes the wife should love their husband. It didn't have to be said. Because we believe in mutual submission, because it says it in verse 21, it doesn't have to be said again for the husband to submit to his wife. Mutual submission is the way of the Christian life because we were created as equals. Because we each bear the image of God and that as we go about our relationship, we are in it together. We want to see the kingdom come in its fullness, and we want to do this together. But we didn't get into marriage in order to continue this battle of the sexes, in order to to see strife and frustration. But we got into marriage because we wanted to be in relationship with someone whom we loved, whom we joyfully submit to. We get to choose them in our culture. I encourage you to choose wisely. And actually, a spoiler alert, you can actually some ways in which you can choose wisely. We do believe it will be your choice. If you were to go forth in marriage, it would be your choice who you would marry. Who you would covenant with. And when we talk about marriage, we don't mean, like, if you will make it. The covenant will be how you will make it. Because you want to mutually submit to one another. And so, we have a tremendous amount of fun in our marriage. It's like 
It was a non-negotiable for us. And this is what we're going to do. And so last night we watched Infinity War. Um, and so uh, I'll give no spoilers alert, but don't give me any either. This is our first time through the Marvel movies. Uh, right? Like, you guys are like, whoa, losers? Sorry, we didn't have TV for a long time. Uh, so now we do. Uh, and so it's like, so evidently the rest of the world had to wait 18 months to see what happened between movies. We're only going to have to wait like five days, so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, and then this morning we got up. Uh, Tuesday mornings are our date day. Uh, just the mornings, right? Because we had to work all night because you guys are here. Uh, and so we went to Five Guys. and It was awesome. <laughs> It's also 50 bucks because that's five guys, right? Like, yeah, we got it like that, you know what I mean? I had a gift card. And so I believe that if the Lord would call you to marriage, if that is what you choose to pursue, if you want to get married, then get married. It doesn't make you better than people who are single. It doesn't make you less than people who are single. It just makes you a person who's married. If you want to be single, then be single. Don't feel like you have to date just to date just because it feels like everyone around you is doing it. And it's only going to get worse in about five weeks. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, those of you that have been around JMU for a spring semester, like, that is what happens. Like, right? Like, all of a sudden, the weather turns after spring break, and you're like, let's go, right? And you're like, chill out. Oh, we got to be like this right now. If you want to be single, be single. If you want to be married, then work towards marriage. Choose correctly. Choose wisely. But know that you are all meant to be in relationship with one another. Know that God has not given, like the idea of solo Christianity, the idea of individualized Christianity is so foreign to the text from the beginning. From the Genesis narrative, it was not good for him to be alone. You need people in your life. And as we look at the foundations for relationship, it's been there from the beginning. It continues throughout the Old Testament. It continues throughout the birth of the church. And it will continue. We need one another. We were built to be with one another. So the band's going to come up because we're going to close out our time tonight. I just want you to, just in the stillness of your own heart, I'm just going to give you some things to think about, um, and then you'll be able to respond um, in song as you would so choose. As you think about relationships, as you think about the one another of the verses, as you think about mutual submission in relationships, what do you feel like has held you back from fully committing to this in your life. As you think about your your close circle of friends, the ones that you would consider that are one another there with you, are there certain ones that you have been not willing to encourage? There are certain friends or certain reasons why you have not exhorted your friends or really been there. Is there, is there a part of you that is holding back? Why is that? And as you think about your future in these friendships, as you think about your future in the church, as you think about your future in Kyle, as you think about your future in the body of Christ, how will you submit to your friends? How will you love them well, and what will that play out for you?
and some of you in the room, you're currently single. And to be honest, you've been frustrated. Or maybe you're like, why me? Or why now? Or I want, or I'm, and you've longed for something and you've made an idol out of relationships. Maybe because of what the church has taught you. Maybe it's what Instagram has taught you. I don't know. Release that to the Lord now. Is the Lord calling you to a season of singleness? Is the Lord calling you to a longer existence of singleness? Is he telling you to invest in the relationships that are already around you? Some of you in the room are currently in relationships. What's he going to say? Some of you in the room are hoping to be in a relationship soon. Some of you in the room know that you want to be married. How will you prepare your own self to be ready for that relationship? How will you choose well? How will you understand equality in that relationship? That it won't be connection. That it won't be what a significant other can give you or do for you. It will be how can we be in this together? I won't be validated by my spouse. I won't be validated by my partner. I will pursue Jesus and his kingdom. And then I will pursue my significant other. And I can tell you this, Katie, and we get weird looks from college students sometimes. But outside of Jesus, my wife is significantly more important to me than my kids. And I love my kids a lot. But you know what? When they turn 18, they're going to leave the house. They're going to go to college. They're going to come home sometimes. They're going to ask me for money. Maybe they're going to ask me for advice. It depends on what kind of parent I'm going to be between now and then, right? But when they leave, it's just going to be the two of us. And so how will we foster that relationship? Like, that's got to be the most important in, in equality and love and so I kind of hit you with a lot there at the end because I feel like like this is like the foundational message in our series and our understanding of relationships. And it's also like trying to get to the root of some things. And so how will you love? How will you choose? What will you choose? Who will you choose? And how will you mutually submit to one another? And so Rachel is going to sing. You can sing with her. You can sit in reflection. Feel free to use this. You can stand. You can kneel. You can walk around. Um, I believe the Lord does want to speak tonight. And I'm excited to see what that would be. Gracious God, we thank you. And thank you that you have put us in the relationships around us that you are a relational God. That we can be in relationship with the creator of heavens and earth. And that you have allowed us to be in relationships that would fulfill us. That you have allowed us to be in relationships that would encourage us and would speak to us. And so God, we ask for your kingdom to come in our lives. And may we submit our futures to you and mutually submit to one another. Help us as we process. Help us as we learn. Help us as we pray.